Hi, my name is Ian. The Old Testament reading is found in Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior and battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Maddie. The New Testament reading is found in Colossians 1, verses 13 through 23. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in the mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Etienne. Thank you for standing for the gospel reading found in John sixteen thirty-three. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please remain standing as we pray. Lord, we come before your holy word now and we ask, would you have your way with us today? We, your people, we ask that your word would be living and active, sharper than two-edged sword. Would it pierce our hearts? Would it change us? Would it cut away that which needs to be pruned? And would it fill us with the love and hope and faith of that which we need of you today? Wash over us with your word. Cleanse us again as we come to you and delight in you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Evan Riedel, if you don't know me. I'm one of the pastors along with the wonderful Joey Jimenez. Uh, And there's this other guy that you may have heard about named Glenn. You, You heard about him? Yeah, me too. Yeah, he, uh, he's actually going to be back next week from sabbatical, so 
Yeah, whoever that guy was. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, <laughs> he's been gone on sabbatical for six weeks now, and uh, he, he gets back, and it's, it's a really great time. So if you've been wondering if, uh, you know, where he's going, when he's coming back, that's then. Um, and some of you, I know, have had, like, sightings of Glenn around town. Like, <laughs> like you saw the Yeti or something. Like, I think I saw him. He was, but I don't know, because he had a big beard. Yeah, he's got this, he's rocking a sabbatical beard right now. That's just killer. <laughs> Um, so you did see him, and we actually got the, the one question, is like, I saw him, but I didn't say hi. It's okay. What you should actually do is try to sneak up on him and just give him a big old tackle hug and say welcome back to him, if you do see him. But if you don't, he'll be here next week, so don't tackle him on Sunday, because there might be too many of you at one time. Um, we've been going through a series this month looking at the kingdom of God and what it is. What do, what do we mean when we say the kingdom? What is its implications? What is our role and participation in all of that? And we are wrapping up this four-week series today, and we're going to be talking about kind of the kingdom on an eternal scope. Um, so first week, we went through the kingdom and the king. The kingdom simply meaning the kingdom of God is understood as the rule and reign of God, and the king, his nature, uh, it affects what does that rule and reign look like. So God is the king, Jesus is the king, has his kingdom, and what does that look like in his rule and reign? The second week, we looked at the kingdom within you. It says in John that the kingdom of God is within you. And what are those implications? That the kingdom of God is really wherever and whenever God is ruling. So it's not just I'm waiting for you to overthrow a government or bring peace to the Middle East or whatever it is. It's, he's saying the kingdom of God is within you. I am looking at your heart and its condition, and I am wanting the rule and the reign to be implemented there. That's where it starts. And then last week, Joey did an amazing job looking at living as citizens of the kingdom. So that God establishes his kingdom through his people. We, the church, we are cooperating. We are, we are the participants in establishing his kingdom here on earth. And operating as kingdom citizens requires us to, and these are the three points last week, recognize who Jesus is, respond to his invitation, and receive his grace when we fall short. So if you haven't been around, just wanted to catch you up with all of that. Um, As we go into today, I really want to talk, like I said, about hope on an eternal perspective, but really what is hope? And then how do we maintain and live in hope in the midst of the tension of this world? And maybe the tension of the kingdom, if you've heard it before, here but not here, now but not yet. Is, okay, so here's the question to kick it off. Is the kingdom of God here? I heard some yeses. I like that. Any naysayers here? No, perfect. The kingdom of God is here. And we've been going through it that Jesus come, Jesus incarnate, just like Isaiah the, in the Old Testament reading, for you, to, you, his son is born, the government's on his shoulders, his rule will have no end. He has come and he has established his kingdom. He's established the way of his kingdom, how we're then to live. He does it throughout the gospels and he gives us the model that says, this is me, I am the fullness of what it looks like to be in the rule and the reign of God, to have the full authority of God because I'm in full relationship with God, and I have come and established my kingdom. And since that day, it's been just trudging forward. And and, has anybody turned on the news this week or last week or in the last month? When you look at the news, is the kingdom of God here? Oh, I'm hearing yes, I'm hearing no. Oh, maybe a couple of people flip-flopping their answers. 
Yes, no, there is something going on where we're saying the kingdom of God is here. And yet the full rule of reign over all of creation and the implications of that, the the expression of that, we're actually seeing it. I think when we turn on that news, we see very real that the the kingdom's full effect has not yet quite taken grasp. And what we're looking at is saying the kingdom is here, but obviously then not yet. And it's now, but we're still waiting for it. And we start being put into this tension. And, and I have to say, it's, it's not just the news. If you look at the news, I think it's obvious. But even my life, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not perfect. But I feel as though the kingdom of God is here. Six and a half years ago, my dad died. Suddenly, unexpectedly. Was the king... Okay, I'm still waiting for something more. Death still had effect in that moment. After, after dad died, I, I went into a solid six months of depression. Like, probably clinical depression, though. I never sought out any drugs or anything for it. But just de- depression and, and, and just grieving. And, and it didn't help that I lived in Portland, Oregon, where the weather was just, like, that felt the same way. Like, blah, all day, every day, Okay. It was the kingdom of God. Where, where is the rule and reign in that? You fast forward, 2012, my wife, her mom, starts her first chemo treatment for multiple myeloma. God-fearing woman. And she does six months and four different regiments of chemo treatment. The kingdom of God, here but not here, now but still, we are waiting and longing for something else. Something more, something full. I think this tension for me and, and my wife Karen, the, the story of our son William, a lot of you have been part of that story and journey, and we so we appreciate it and we feel it and the support in it. And the fact that the kingdom of God is, if, if the full rule and reign, God is life, and yet he was on a knife edge away from death. And the Lord started stirring his people. And there was prayers literally throughout out this state and this church and then the country and literally the world. We were receiving messages of prayers of people saying, the Lord is waking me up in the middle of the night. The Lord, I've never felt a burden to pray like, like I am right now in this context. And so we're seeing the, the Lord in that sentence going, the kingdom of God is here. He's obviously at work. His rule and his reign is going forth. And William did not die. He lived and he's alive and he's flourishing and he's 14 months. And, and we're still doing therapy because there's some parts that we're still working out because he, the Lord healed him and he used his people. And we're still in this tension of, and the Lord is continually healing him. And we're agreeing with what the Lord has done and what the Lord is continuing to do in his life. And, and I think we need to feel that tension of when we answered both, yes, the kingdom of God is here, and no, the kingdom of God's not quite fully here, I can turn on the news and domestically see 
not the kingdom, and, I, and internationally not the kingdom, and yet I know the stories, and I can ask you, anybody in this room probably, have you seen the kingdom? Have you seen miracles? Have you seen hard hearts become soft? Have you seen lives redeemed? Have you seen people freed from, from pasts and addictions? And, and have you seen forgiveness take hold? And have you seen the grace of God change lives? And we'd all be able to say yes. And so somehow, in some way, we are living in the age that the kingdom is here and yet not here. It is now and yet not yet. And what do we do with this tension? And that's, that's what I want to talk about today is that, church, there is hope in the midst of this tension. When we turn on the TV, when we hear the news, when we see the things in our own lives that the kingdom of God might not fully look like it's here. We shall not despair because there is great hope. I want to define hope first just to give us a framework with what I'm talking about. Um, you guys ever hoped that you wished the lottery or you won the lottery? Like, oh man, I hope. <laughs> okay, that's not hope. I just got to let you know that. That's, that's wishing upon a star and it's probably not going to happen. Uh, biblically, hope is not wishful thinking. It's not, I had a dream and I hope it comes true. Biblically, hope defined is something more like this. A confident expectation based on past and present circumstances. A confident expectation. I am standing in confidence of what will be. I am expecting something, and I am expecting it with confidence because of past and present circumstances. So more accurately, you should say, oh, I bought a ticket, I hope I, should, I hope I lose the lottery, and you're going, yes, you understand hope. That, that's it, because based on past and present circumstances, there's pretty much no chance you're going to win. Hope, biblically, though, it transforms what we're, what we're doing, how we're living. Because hope, if we're saying it's past and present circumstances that give us this expectation, we look back into the story of scriptures and what they've said and what Jesus has done, how he has fulfilled the, pro, the prophecies, how he upheld the law, righteousness, that all of our hope put in him, my, my, it, it, is, it is something that has so won our expectation, we can be so confident because it, he's fulfilled it, he's done it. And so we look back and we start seeing that the hope of the kingdom, if we're, if we're saying the tension is here, so where's my hope in the midst of it? Our confident expectation, past and present. Our hope is that when Jesus shows up on the scene, for unto us a child is born, when Jesus shows up, he starts fulfilling, and the rule and the reign, the kingdom, start exerting the authority over, over not just himself, because he is functioning in the full rule and reign, but exerting his authority in the world around him. That the kingdom has arrived, and it's being inaugurated in and through the life of Jesus. So that when he's preaching to those who have never had hope before, and yet the words that he's saying are so true that, that hope and, and, and life are being birthed forth in their hearts, that the kingdom is arriving. That when he is casting out demons and darkness, that the hope in our kingdom, the rule and reign of God coming, is that, yes, your kingdom has authority even over darkness. And you're showing us what this kingdom is like. You're stirring up hope in our hearts because we're, we're not just wishing it would be this case anymore. Now we're seeing it in your life, God, in Jesus. Looking at hope in the sick, he, he doesn't just say, well, you know what, I'll pray for you a little prayer and then take some zinc and uh, let's hope you get better. 
He, he is exerting his rule and his reign, his authority over sickness when he heals the sick. And his rule and his reign even over darkness. In the story of the, the quadriplegic, he gets lowered down from the roof. They're, they're asking him, how do you say these things? By what authority do you have to say that his sins are forgiven? Really, is it harder to say his sins are forgiven or that you should get up your mat and walk so that you know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins? Get up your mat, walk. And he shows in the physical healing in that moment the spiritual healing over darkness that he has. And he starts, he starts living and doing something that in the people around him, it's depositing this hope going, based on the past and present, I'm really expecting that this guy, he might might be the savior that we've been looking for. Hope is starting to become alive. And hope fully becomes alive on that Easter morning. When, man, he died, but maybe this wasn't it. And the, the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And then all of a sudden, hope breaks through because life is there. And we're going, now I am so expecting that this is the savior. Because look, based on the past and what's going on now and that he's here, man, I could have expectation confidently for the future. Hope can be alive. Church, it is the same today that we, if we're looking at is the kingdom here but not here, I can see the kingdom of God breaking through in story after story and yet I can turn to other stories and see, are you not yet fully here, God? Living in that tension of where's the hope. Church, we can confidently expect that yes, we can maintain hope because of what he has done and what he is still doing. And we are set in that place to say, I can see your life. I can see in Acts that you poured out your spirit, that your promise was true, that you won't leave us, that we, your church, are now your agents, that you're filling us. We're your temple. You're still working. You're still living. You're still active and alive today. Because now, based on that past and this present, I can then look into the future and say, yeah, there is room for hope. Hope is alive because of past and present. And if you wanted to know, past, present, even the past tells us a little bit about the future and where we're going. Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Beloved, even that hope that we hold on to to say, one day it's going to be like this, one day, is because we can look back and look now and say, the Lord has not left us. He is faithful to his word. He has done what he said. Jesus Christ has fulfilled the requirements of the law. He has upheld righteousness. He has overcome sin in the grave. He has healed. He has come. And he is still alive and active today. So when you who said, do we still have hope? Say yes. Yes, we have hope. And we know where we're going. He's going to renew it all. So then how shall we live? If we are in this tension where we can at one moment look at, a, look at something and say there is There is the active presence of God here on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's happening, and yet we're still looking and waiting for a day that has not yet come. What do we do? Well, I'm glad you asked. I jotted down a few things. 
Number one, I want us to give ourselves permission to grieve or to mourn or to long. But basically, give ourselves permission when we do not see the full effect of the kingdom of God on earth, to respond appropriately. When my dad died, there was an amazing group of people that came out of the woodwork. If you've, if you've lost anybody close, you've probably experienced this too, where you're going, some people I expected to be here aren't, and some people who I had no idea, they just, they've come and they've been front and center, they've been a comfort, they've been amazing, they're fulfilling biblical stuff, mourn with those who mourn, they're just amazing. And I also had this segment of people um, who just maybe just didn't know better. But they would come and it was, dad died two days after Thanksgiving. And so we're in the Christmas season. And and that month, people, if they would see us at the store or out in town, they would go, I'm so sorry. It's okay. Your dad's in a better place. It's okay. He's dancing with the angels right now. I have some real problem being comforted by that because I'm still here and that's not helping. You just, it's okay, almost shut me down to say, no, it's not okay. And beloved, we're going to face moments in this tension of here and not here now, but not yet. Can I maintain hope? Where hope does not fade, it is not absent, but we need to give ourselves permission to say, but the fullness of the kingdom rule and reign is not yet in this situation, and then death just happened. And I, it's okay to mourn. It's okay to long. It's okay to turn on the news and say, it's not supposed to be this way. To look at the world around us and to grieve. I want us to have permission to do that. And it's a biblical permission that says, blessed are you who mourn for you will be comforted. It's part of the way of the kingdom. We're more kingdom-minded and liked when we allow ourselves to recognize that it's not supposed to be this way than when we say, it's okay, God's in control. Yes, I know that. Give me permission to also mourn that in this moment, I'm still longing for the full implementation of that control. We, uh, there's a pastor, a friend of ours, years ago, who his world was crumbling around him. And I remember I was driving by his house. And as I was driving by, I just started weeping in my car. I was alone, and the surprising thing to me about it was uh, actually the fact that I was weeping, because I, you know, there's moments where I feel like I'm an incredibly kind, tender-hearted, nice guy, uh, and this was not one of those. This was like a, I don't feel like I care this much that I should be crying right now. Like, what's going on? I, why am I crying? And... And I just, I remember like weeping and just looking at his house and knowing the world crumbling down around him and asking the Lord, Lord, what is going on? And his response just saying, these aren't, these aren't really your tears. You're sharing in my tears right now. And I just, beloved, I, I really feel like if we're, if we're going to fully walk in the rule and the reign in the kingdom of God, we will one day get to a point, Revelation 21, that there are no more tears. There's no more sorrow. But right now, while we're living in the tension, allowing ourselves to grieve or to express it's not supposed to be this way 
is okay and it's good. And prescriptively, it is a way of the kingdom in which we are called to live. So number one, give ourselves permission. Number two, and, and Joey hit on a lot of this last week, but if, if we're to live in the tension between what he has done is doing and I, we know where we're going and yet it's not the fullness of his rule and reign yet, we still need to understand that we are called to participation with the kingdom's ways. That it's not just I sit here and go, man, the, world, the dark is getting so dark and there's really nothing we can do about it. And doesn't this suck? At some point, the, the evil is just going to basically twist God's arm until he comes back and he's going to just, at that point, he's going to be bullied into returning or, or to earth or something. The, the scriptures don't describe that. Rather participatory, what they do describe is a God who himself did not just wipe out but became incarnate. A God who did not reject the world, but came into the world as the light. A God who took on flesh. Hebrews, Hebrews 2 points at this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same thing. Philippians talks about it. He took on flesh. He humbled himself to that. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. Basically, everything that we've gone through, the tension that we're holding, Jesus sets this example of the kingdom is like this. Yes, I'm working in the power and the rule and the authority and the way of God, but part of that is to say, I'm going to take on the very thing I've created and I'm going to redeem it. I'm not going to abandon it. I'm going to take it on. I'm going to step into the darkness with the light. And then us, church, he's calling to do the same in partnership with him. He is still doing that today. He is still working. He is still being the light in dark places, bringing hope where there is none, bringing love where there is hate, bringing reconciliation where there is brokenness, bringing healing where there is sickness. He is doing this, and he's looking at us as his church and saying, the very presence of heaven that I'm asking you to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that very presence, I'm asking you to be participants in, in, in bringing that presence on earth as it is in heaven. I'm, I'm asking you to be participants so that it's not just the dark's gonna keep getting darker and darker and darker and there is no hope, but that you are walking with the living hope inside of you, the very God of the ages, wherever darkness might be, and saying, I am participating in the works of the kingdom. How then today shall I live to bring the presence of God here on earth? C.S., or not C.S. Lewis, N.T. Wright in a book called Surprised by Hope puts it this way. Left to ourselves, we lapse into a kind of collusion with entropy, acquiescing in the general belief that things may be getting worse, but that there's nothing much we can do about them. And we're wrong. Our task in the present is to live as resurrection people in between Easter and the final day, with our Christian life, corporate and individual, in both worship and mission, as a sign of the first and a foretaste of the second. We are to populate the earth with the presence of heaven. We are to bring it and carry it and usher it in. If we're giving ourselves permission at one moment to say, it's not supposed to be like this, as we allow ourselves to do that, also holding in the tension and understanding that we are participating and making it not like that. What will be, we are ushering in, even as God has called us to, and even as Jesus has shown us the example of. And the last thing I want to say 
If it's permission, participation, it's proclamation as well. In town, there's a, no shortage of 501c3, beautiful parachurch ministries, nonprofits, all that. I don't know most of their mission statements. There's one that I love, though. It's Compassion International. You guys may have heard of that place. Do you guys know the mission statement for Compassion? Some of you might work there. Releasing children from poverty in Jesus' name. Freeing children from poverty in Jesus' name. And not only are they taking on, it's okay, and not only are they participating and saying, we're doing the work of the kingdom, and guess what? We're doing it by freeing children from poverty. That is a mission and a work. That is a tangible fragrance and presence of the kingdom of God here on earth. But they're also having a proclamation part of it to say, and we're doing it in Jesus' name. We're walking in with our actions, but also with our words to say, we are doing this because we are so motivated. We are so motivated by what God has already done. Um, <laughs> N.T. Wright puts it this way too. People who believe in the resurrection and God making a whole new world in which everything will be set right at last are unstoppably motivated to work for that new world in the present. And I think as we work for it, it's a participation to say, I'm doing it in word and deed. I'm proclaiming this hope into this dark situation. I'm not just doing it to be a nice guy, but I'm saying that there's a hope that lasts. There's a hope that overcomes. There's a God who is at play here. And let me pass this hope on. Let me tell you about it. We all have neighbors. We have situations that we find ourselves in. Have you guys ever gotten to know your neighbors? This is like a tongue-in-cheek question in this generation. Have you, have you ever knocked on a neighbor's door or at, like when you were at the mailbox said, hey, we should do dinner together sometime? It's something that we did a challenge over, over Lent of this past spring. And it's something that Karen and I have kept on doing every month or every other month and inviting neighbors over. And the most wonderful thing happens that when we invite neighbors over is we find out just how truly messy life can be. And... <laughs> There's no guide. There's no compass. Everything is just off the rails in some of these neighbors' lives. And they're wonderful people. They are articulate. They're relational. They're compassionate. And yet there's this thing where, why would I live differently? Because there is no hope. And we're supposed to not just go and say, hey, come over for a meal, but also to bring a word that says, and let let me start sharing with you by what I'm doing, but also telling you why I'm doing it. To proclaim a hope that has overcome If we're looking at this tension and we're coming to this table and we're saying there is a tension, we need to feel it between it's it's here but it's not yet here. It's now and it's been now and not yet. My hope is based on what has happened, what is happening, and I'm still waiting for something to happen, so I'm still then waiting. I don't think that we can bear this tension in ourselves and on our own. Rather, we are called to be found in the one who has borne the tension perfectly in himself. I'm going to say that again. There is a tension. And when we grieve, I want us to grieve with the Spirit. When we, when we do work, I want us to participate with the Spirit. When we proclaim, I want us to proclaim as though speaking the very words of God. But we cannot do it in ourselves, of our own self, of our own strength. It's not our kingdom. But there is one, the one who has given us the example of all of this, whose rule and reign was full, in full effect in his lifetime, Jesus, that we see him 
in his life, death, and resurrection hold the full tension within himself. We see him not just overcoming sickness and sin, but actually taking the full weight of sickness and sin on himself in the cross. And yet, we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the righteousness of him. He took on sin. He bore the tension of his righteousness and our sin, and his righteousness overcame. He took on darkness. Even the skies, the day on Calvary, were blackened and darkened. And the darkness that he was coming into, John 1, he was the light of the world. He came into the darkness. He took on darkness. And three days later, on Easter morning, we celebrate that the light overcame. And he took on death. The very death which is described by the apostles to be the last enemy that shall be defeated. With my dad, that's what I'm waiting for. Lord, you've overcome a lot of stuff. And right now, it's all just, it's, it's a little clouded because death is still, we're still waiting for that defeat in that day to come. Even death he took on himself. And he died. But life overcame. He held the tension perfectly And God overcame, life overcame, uh, healing overcame, all of it. And this is what Paul in Colossians is talking about. When he gives us that chapter 1, verse 13 through 23. For by him all things were created. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And through him, he's reconciled all things to himself. I skipped a lot in there, but look at Ephesians, or Colossians 1. He's saying all of this, all of the tension that you felt, is the kingdom here but not here? Yes, there's tension that we're living in because we know what it's going to look like. We know what it has looked like. We're trying to usher it in now. We're agreeing with it, but allowing ourselves to say it's not supposed to be this way, but it's coming and it's here. And this tension, and he takes it all on. And perfectly in himself, he overcomes that life has overcome death. Darkness is, over, or is being overcome by light. Sin is overcome by righteousness in his blood. And when we come to this table, we celebrate again hope that is given to us, not for a moment and not that fades, but hope, a confident expectation because of what he has done, what he is doing, what we have been promised that he will do and finalize one day to come, that the inauguration of the kingdom, our participation in the kingdom, and the culmination of the kingdom of someday when we know, I don't know. It even, this, it even says in the scriptures, when is that day? The son of man doesn't even know. Okay, great, so what are we gonna do now? We're gonna work in it, we're gonna live in it, we're gonna let it affect us, We're going to take it. We're going to preach it. We are going to be the kingdom, the people, the fragrance of God, the people of heaven here on earth and populating the earth with the presence of heaven and the work of God and the kingdom's ways. Now, as it is in heaven, let it be, O Lord, 